Section eight of Among Typhoons and Pirate Craft by Lindsay Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section eight, chapters twenty two through twenty four. Chapter twenty two. We make a daylight visit to the shore. Good night, Nealance. Good night, Anderson. Try and keep my letter dry, and be careful how you get back on board. If you have any bother, come back here immediately, and I will stand the racket. So says Careero, as we shake his hand, and take our way back to the brushwood to undress, and prepare for our watery travel back to the Eamont. The first clump of bushes we come across are utilized as a dressing-room for the purpose of disrobing ourselves as soon as we have got our suit of clothes tied up in pieces of oilcloth we leave the cover of the brushwood and betake ourselves to the water like a pair of veritable water-dogs the pair of us being as much at home in the water as on land we were not long in fetching the eamont after we had got away from the beach there were no sharks in the harbour that night neither were there on watch any emissaries of the old aristocracy of this country who were the enemies of progress or else they could easily have made short work of us had they been so minded or been imbued with the crafty intelligence that obtains amongst the monarchical aristocracy of christian nations swimming noiselessly up to the rope-ladder hanging over the taffrail of the eamont and then climbing up in the same noiseless manner we are eagerly welcomed back by the captain and mr jewel who have been waiting anxiously for our return not a word quietly ejaculates the captain till you have rubbed yourselves dry and got inside of another suit of clothes forgetting for the moment that we were attired in adam's suit couldn't have a better suit on than we have for the night's work says nealance with a laugh which is fully endorsed by the captain and mr jewel although the suit approved by nealance is probably the best for an aquatic journey neither of us were very loath to go to our cabins and put in practice the injunctions of the captain regarding our apparel before proceeding to his cabin nealance opens his oil silk covered parcel and delivers to the captain mr careero's important letter having got inside of another suit of clothing we take our way to the saloon where the captain and mr jewel are waiting to hear an account of our night's work nealance relates to them all our proceedings and then the captain tells us somewhat of the contents of the communication we had brought him from mr careero which amounts to little more than permission for him to proceed on shore in the character of a medico our conference is short and the good-night cup is swallowed and we are all glad to retire to our cabins and court the repose that is necessary to restore the energies of our craniums to their proper equilibrium after the usual morning's work of cleaning polishing and brightening comes to a close the eamont as on the previous day is gaily arrayed with bunting from stem to stern the four japanese boats are still lying at anchor on our quarters and bows carefully watching all our proceedings the one high official who seemed to be in authority over them on the previous day had shortly after sunrise come off and made a tour of inspection as well as spent some little time in conversation with the officials in the boats 
Ah Shing, at the request of the captain, tries his persuasive powers of oratory on this high official in order to induce him to come on board, but all his efforts are in vain. He is not to be seduced from his fealty to the party whose interests he is commissioned to look after. As soon as breakfast is over, one of our cutters is put in the water and brought to the gangway ladder. A picked crew of ten of our best men, armed with revolvers, are chosen to man the cutter. Nealance taking the place of coxswain, and I the position of bowman. The captain, Ashing, and one of the shroffs have taken their places in the stern sheets. We shove off from the side of the Eamont, and pull away in the direction of Mr. Careero's residence. The officials in the guard-boats take no notice of us, and we reach the shore without interference on their part. But as soon as we get to the landing, we are confronted by several Japs, dressed and armed in a similar manner to the officials in the watching-boats, who intimate to the captain through our interpreter, Ah Sheng, that only four persons are to be allowed to land. Very good, says the captain, in reply to Ah Sheng's interpreted communication. Nealance, you remain in charge of the boat, and Anderson will come along with me, and Ah Sheng and the Shroff. Having some knowledge of the house and its surroundings, I accordingly lead the way, as soon as we have passed from the cutter to terra firma, and acting on the captain's instructions, instead of leading our party to the side-gate, where I had previously found ingress, I take the way round to the front entrance. The residents in the mansion had no doubt been well aware of our approach, for when we arrive at the principal entrance we are met on the threshold by Careero, our two Japanese passengers, and several other distinguished and imposing-looking Japanese. Salams and genuflections innumerable are performed, as the captain is introduced all round, much the same performance having to be gone through over the introduction of Ah Shing, while a lesser degree of courtesy is extended towards the Shroff and I, who bring up the rear. Entering the mansion, the captain and Ah Shing are conducted to the private apartments occupied by Careero, where his state of health is no doubt adequately diagnosed, while at the same time some more important matters are discussed. The Schroff and I are left on duty in an anteroom adjoining, there to await the orders of our superiors. Careero's conference with the captain and Ah Shing having been concluded, they take their way to another apartment where the Japanese are assembled. A lengthy conference is carried on there, and my companion, the Schroff, is called in, no doubt to act as secretary or otherwise the sun has crossed the foreyard before the conference comes to a close and we are ready to take our departure before taking our departure the captain and careero urgently endeavour to persuade some of the principal japs to go off and lunch on board the eamont but to no purpose seemingly they all have a dread of being seen in our company outside the stone walls of the mansion unsuccessful in getting any of the japs to accompany us on board the captain takes his leave in much the same formal manner as when he entered the mansion and then accompanied by the shroff and i takes his way to the boat leaving ah sheng to assist careero in the work he has in hand chapter twenty three 
the captain suggests a visit to nagasaki we arrive back on board the Eamont without being interfered with in the slightest degree, so that the opposition to our landing and having free intercourse with the people cannot be of a very aggressive nature. When the captain reaches the deck, I hear him say to Mr. Jewell, Don't hoist the boat up, let her lie at the boom till after lunch. As soon as we are seated at the luncheon table, and the first pangs of the inward man satisfied, the captain proceeds to narrate for our delectation the substance of the forenoon's conference with the japs and careero as far as i can make out says the captain after his narration of the conference has come to a close we will simply have to make an effort ourselves by going on shore on some errand and see whether they will allow us into their city or not for these fellows might keep on talking forever now again says the captain i have told careero that we are in need of fresh beef and he and i have come to the conclusion that it will be a very good opportunity to go on shore and buy some beef or failing that a live bullock which can soon be made into beef when we get him on board what do you think of the plan asked the captain very good indeed is our assenting reply well then resumes the captain mr nealance you and anderson will go on shore with the same armed boat's crew and land at the main landing which i will point out to you when we go on deck and then you will take half the boat's crew up the town with you leaving the coxswain in charge of the boat to wait some distance off the landing till you return when you have landed in the city you must just look round till you come across a butcher's shop or a live animal that will make beef don't do anything to hurt the feelings of the inhabitants and pay well for anything you take i will give you plenty of dollars and if they won't take the money lay it down close to where you have taken your goods from if the natives object to our proceedings we are to take what we can lay our hands on whether or not i presume says nealance with a laugh as he winks at me that will depend upon the amount of force they bring to bear upon you to enforce their objections says the captain adding i will leave you to judge of that for yourselves but i may as well tell you you are not to quarrel with them willingly but rather to sheer off if there should be any organized force brought to bear against you by any official-looking personages like those fellows in the boats how are we going to explain to them what we require asked nealance the schroff will go with you and although he don't understand much of their language still his chinee may be nearer the mark of their understanding than your english replies the captain you see again says the captain those japs that careero is in tow with keep on telling him that we will not be allowed to enter the city for the purpose of trading and also that the people are dead against us and will neither take our money nor will they supply us with anything so to test the truth of their allegations you are going to try and purchase some article we are very much in need of as i take it none of you are too fond of salt provisions all right sir says nealance i think we will manage to palaver them into supplying us with the necessary article if we have plenty of dollars for i have never seen the genus homo yet whose eyes would not glisten or his mouth water over a pile of mexicans especially in eastern lands 
that is no doubt all very well with indians and chinamen says the captain but these people seem to be a different race altogether from any we have had dealings with before so be very wary and polite for their swords are sharp and as each man carries two of these weapons he is like a double-armed man but whether they are clever in the use of their weapons or not i don't know yet the captain having thus carefully put us on our guard regarding our duty to the inhabitants ordered the schroff to take with him one hundred of the newest and brightest mexican dollars he had in his possession and accompany us into the boat as soon as nealance and i have got our fighting harness on and supplied ourselves with a goodly amount of revolver ammunition we take our way on deck and instruct the boatswain to pipe the cutter to the gangway with the same armed boat's crew to man her as were in her during our forenoon visit to the shore while the boat is being got ready the captain comes on deck and points out the particular place where we are to land which is near the eastern end of the bight which forms a kind of inner harbour at the northern end of this large and capacious roadstead or inner gulf be wary is the last injunction we receive from the captain as we go over the side and take our places in the boat where the cashier or schroff is already seated looking as miserable as if he were going to an execution nealance and i as well as our boat's crew are still in the rosy realms of bright and hopeful youth and as far as our faces can be read as a token of what may be passing within you would imagine we were bound away on some pleasant picnicking expedition instead of being about to land as unwelcome intruders amongst a people who had succeeded i may say since the world began in keeping themselves secluded from the whole world around them always excepting the one or two favoured hollanders who however had never got any farther than a mere look at the city not having been endowed with the persevering and encroaching intelligence that generally accompanies the landing of a british subject on any portion of the terra firma that constitutes the world had any of our countrymen been on such a friendly footing with the japs as to be able to get them to accept of a present of a yacht that country would have been as much anglicized at the time i am writing of as it is now for they have proved themselves a very apt nation in the adoption of all the benefits that accrue from advanced civilization whether they are a happier people for discarding the ignorance and innocence which obtained amongst them when we forced ourselves upon them is a question they can best answer for themselves but there is this to be said for them as a nation they have rapidly and for the most part willingly adopted the manners and customs of the dominant races and thus unlike other aboriginal races they have not been improved from off the face of the earth to make way for those whom our philosophers term the fittest and who alone have the right to survive only a few days ago in this year one thousand eight hundred and ninety one of the christian era i was taking a ramble round the docks of this the greatest maritime city in the world when to my great wonderment i came across a large number of japanese seamen who had just been landed from one of the many steamers that regularly ply between that fast advancing nation and this country 
officers and men were all dressed in the most approved style of naval uniform similar to that which is worn in our own royal navy with very slight exception and which would be quite unnoticeable to the eyes of any landsman their dress and appearance and possibly their intelligence gave them the look of man-o'-warsmen but it seemed to me as i stood and watched them for a few minutes that there was a great want of the stamina and robustness that usually distinguishes our own naval men and the thought readily suggested itself to me that possibly the japanese authorities sent all their most diminutive people to sea and kept those of larger stature such as i had often seen in the days i am writing of to protect as soldiers their now much more important nation chapter twenty four we visit nagasaki town be wary is the last injunction that proceeds from the lips of our commander as we shove off from the side of the Emont and take our way for the first time towards the principal landing-place in the harbour of nagasaki ten minutes smart pulling and our cutter is run alongside the bottom step of the landing in the most approved style that obtains amongst well-trained coxswains the landing is a fairly well-built structure of hard stone having some twelve or fourteen steps somewhere about fifteen feet lengthways by nine inches in depth and one foot in breadth leading up to a gate-like archway through which we have to pass in order to enter the city when we arrive at this landing we find it well guarded with stout-looking formidable japs arrayed in a similar garb to that of the officials who had been so carefully watching us from their guard-boats since our arrival in the harbour those officials on duty at the landing were armed with two swords in like manner to those already mentioned and here is also in the guard-boats firearms of any sort were either still unknown to them or under prohibition for none were visible to our keen and searching glance we do not linger to gaze upon these sturdy-looking warriors but taking in the situation at a glance nealance and i followed up by four of our men jump from the cutter to the landing and take our way up the steps the boat at the same time pushing off from the landing and taking up a position some few yards off nealance and i taking the lead walk up the steps followed by our men passing through the ranks of these soldiers if such they were in a most solemn and determined manner i think we are rather surprised when we meet with no hindrance to our proceedings but are only looked at by these guardians of the landing in a curiously blended inspection of sternness and stoical indifference we raise our caps to two of the officials at the archway who are by their appearance and richness of attire of some higher rank than the others but they take no notice of our salute and only give us a stare of austere indifference their looks don't hurt us much and we are not prevented from proceeding on our errand by the austerity of their manner in receiving strangers up through the city lanes and streets we take our way no one interferes with us neither do any of the inhabitants take much more interest in us than a momentary stare of a very slightest wonderment their habitations are for the most part built of stone and as the window-glass is seemingly unknown to them 
or perhaps highly taxed as it once was in our own land we are able to see the interior of their dwellings almost whether we will or not after wandering through the streets for some time we come across a shop where we see cigars exposed for sale and attempt to make a purchase we had left the schroff behind in the boat with the bag of dollars till such time as we could spot what we were in search of therefore we had some difficulty in getting this japanese cigar merchant to understand us i have often observed that our british seamen when on any foreign station throughout the civilized world or the uncivilized have but one appellation for any of the genus homo whom they may come in contact with so my dear reader you will not be astonished when i tell you that mr nealance began his first conversation in japan by addressing this shopman by the universal title of johnny johnny says mr nealance addressing this japanese shopman and at the same time holding up before his gaze a couple of shining mexican dollars me wanchi cigari for smoky and as he finishes his request he points to the article required the japanese shopman shakes his head in the negative and waves the open palm of his hand across his chest in that peculiar style mankind in general adopt when they wish to be rid of any one or to close any conversation nealance won't understand him however and therefore doubles the amount of dollars but all to no purpose he still shakes his head and hands as if he would like to be rid of us passing on to a street higher up we come across another dealer in the fragrant weed with whom we endeavor to make a trade you try him this time anderson says nealance johnny says i in my suavest tone of voice while at the same time i also hold up a couple of mexican dollars want ye smoky then i imitate with my hand and mouth the motion we perform as we inhale the inspiration of the fragrant weed this shopman has an eye to business and is seemingly inclined to trade he takes the dollars out of my hand to look at them and as he does so i lift the box of cigars from the stand in the glassless window while this japanese shopman is satisfying himself as to the genuineness of the mexican dollars nealance takes up another box and lays down two dollars also which are taken up by the shopman as he is in the act of placing his four dollars into his purse two japanese official-looking personages are noticed coming along the street both armed in the usual two-sorted manner as soon as this shopman spies these officials of the two swords coming in our direction he pushes the four dollars back into my hand and motions for us to take our departure from his door he will not allow us to return the cigars and as he is seemingly in great trepidation at the advent on the scene of these two officials we take our departure along the street much to his evident relief these two officials pass us by with the same indifferent stare as all the others have done and we see them stand and question the shopman anent his dealings with us there is no chance of us getting back to remunerate the shopman for they take their stand close to his premises and we are perforce compelled to walk away in some other direction 
as we walk along the streets we come to what seems a hall or public building with many openings in its walls in the shape of windows and like all the other buildings an entire absence of glass or any kind of screen our visit being one of exploration we do not hesitate to avail ourselves of a look within the interior of this public building from out of and into which we observe numerous inhabitants of both sexes coming and going and all alike arrayed in the scantiest of attire looking through the screenless windows into the interior of this building we find to our amazement that it is the public bathing-place of the inhabitants and here before our very eyes we see men and women in their nudest innocence disporting themselves in this miniature lake of water with all the joyousness born of paradisical innocence the bathers took but little notice of us and were in no way abashed at our wondering stare of absorbment the scene had come across our vision so unexpectedly and was withal so much different from our close separation of the sexes under such circumstances that we may be excused for the rapt absorbment of our first gaze when we came to our senses after our astonished gaze on such a primeval scene we turn away blushing as if we had been caught stealing a glimpse at the veritable three graces when adorning themselves to join in the escort of the mythical bacchus did you ever see anything like that queries nealance never i replied i have read of some such scenes in books but in all my wanderings this is the first time i have seen such an exquisite scene of primitive innocence some of the women are as fair as our own countrywomen says nealance and none of them are really darker than the maidens of italy or andalusia what a scene for a painter to put upon his canvas i remark especially to lay before that portion of our civilized europe who cynically believe and hold forth to their fellows that the finality of innocence came to an end in the garden of eden we do not proceed any further into the city but take our way leisurely back in the direction of the landing-place all the time keeping a sharp lookout for anything in the shape of butcher meat when we get about halfway back to the landing we are rewarded by the sight of a nice young bullock standing in the courtyard of what might be a dairy so much has it the resemblance of one of those milk caravansaries that are to be found in our own large cities we walk up the courtyard and have a good survey of the bullock and find he is just the very animal we have been looking for all the afternoon we halloo a great deal and make as much noise as we decently can in order to bring some one out of the mansion in the courtyard of which we have found our animal but all to no purpose no one ventures forth that we can bargain with for the purchase of the animal so nealance turns to me and says anderson if you will take a couple of hands down to the boat and bring that shroff and the money up here i will watch here and see that no one removes the bullock till you come back all right i reply as i set off with my men to the landing-place we have no difficulty in finding it for here at any rate the streets and lanes are mostly in straight lines and parallels the guards take no heed of me as i walk to the bottom of the steps 
and after getting into the boat induced the schroff by means of some forcible eloquence to adjourn to the shore and bring the bag of dollars with him however unwilling the schroff may have been to pass through the lines of guards at the landing-place i had no sooner got him through the archway and rejoined my two men than all the ancient bravery of his race returned to him and he was now quite capable of encountering the direst enemy of the human race when we got back to the courtyard where i had left nealance we found him and his two men still watching by the animal have you seen any one yet i asked of nealance not a living creature is the reply of nealance then he says to the schroff here mr schroff see if you can't talky talky some japanese and that dory so can bring men out sell bullock the schroff walks up to the door and makes some talk in japanese mixed with pidgin english and chinee but his efforts like ours are in vain no one comes forth to sell the bullock or in any manner interest themselves in our proceedings how much do you think the animal is worth anderson asked nealance five ten or fifteen dollars over in china i reply but what is it worth here in this new country where they will not take money nor buy nor sell i don't know well we are going to take him on board at any rate to make him into fresh beef and if i leave five and twenty dollars in the yard for him he will be well paid for so said mr nealance and of course i entirely concurred with this arrangement cast him adrift from the wall and lead him away to the boat says nealance to our men while at the same time he places the sum of twenty-five dollars in bright new mexicans on the ground close to where the bullock was tied to the wall as soon as we proceed to lead our captive away out of the yard the first approach to human life in the mansion makes its appearance in the doorway in the shape of a young and lovely maiden fair to look upon as a summer's dream and possibly verging on the teen that poets have so often dubbed as sweet she was dressed in the mantle our first mother wore in the garden of eden if we are to believe the many artists who have delineated on their canvas through all the ages the slender raiment that was necessary for the female adornment in those antediluvian days this young lady of japan looked on at our proceedings without showing by her countenance the least sign of astonishment and as nealance and i turned out of the courtyard in rear of our men we raised our hats and salaamed in our most gracious style but this fair maid of japan made no responsive obeisance to our polite attentions down through the streets of nagasaki we proceed with our bullock in tow most of the inhabitants as we passed along took just sufficient time for a look then passed on as unconcerned as possible and so without any hindrance we arrived at the landing-place where we walked the bullock down the steps and into the water when the boat came alongside the bullock was made fast to the stern ring-bolt then we all took our places in the boat and put off for the Emont the soldiers on guard looking on all the time but saying nothing only just leaving us very very severely alone a quarter of an hour brings us back on board the Emont. the bullock is hoisted on board and in half an hour's time legs and shoulders of prime fresh beef are seen hanging to the rack of the galley 
the boat is hoisted in and as it is close on dinner-time when we get back the captain reserves the relation of our adventures till we are seated at the dinner-table end of section eight